Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. All right, well, this week on Urban Spelunking, we're going down to 4th and State Street to the former Milwaukee Journal Sentinel headquarters. This was a, kind of a big story when the move was announced because the paper had been headquartered in the same spot in Milwaukee for a really long time. And it's a huge, sprawling, actually complex of buildings. And it's been in this process of, of moving. And uh, Bobby, you got the chance to go there and get I, what I assume must have been one of the last behind-the-scenes tours because the, the building is pretty much all but cleared out. Yeah, it was. Um, I sort of had to wait until they were done basically clear, cleaning out. Uh, their newsrooms have moved fully to the east side of the river now. And uh, the building was taken over by Josh Jeffers, who is the developer who bought it. Um, and he had somebody show me around, which was great. I spent three hours in the building looking around, which was pretty amazing. And how cool that you have this personal connection to this building. You know, maybe not everybody knows, but you actually spent uh, you know, some time in your early career here, about five years, working inside these very walls in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel building. So you had this personal connection. I did, yeah. I worked at the Sentinel uh, in the sports department, although I also spent the whole time I was there working in the sports department also writing for the features, doing like movie stuff, music, books, stuff like that. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was basically, I mean, no disrespect to UWM, which was my university, but uh, this this was really my where I learned how to how to do the job. Yeah, you 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 kind of teased in the story that you um, you had a, an early mentor there. I believe his name was Bill, right? Oh yeah, Bill Windler was my editor at um, in the sports department. I gotta ask, you said in the story that that he taught you perhaps the most valuable journalism lesson of your career. Do you, can you share what that was? It, yeah, it was. It, there was not one specific lesson, but I mean, he taught me uh, like every aspect of just kind of being an employable journalist. Really, he taught me about having a good lead, how the headline has to be really good, um, you know, and if something if you as a uh, part-time reporter, I worked on what was called the rim at the time, and you would write headlines and copy edit other people's stories uh, and write cut lines for photos and things like that. And if he didn't think you did a good job, he sent it back to you and made you do it again. You know, if it took five times, he did it five times. Um, but also at the time, I was still kind of a kid. You know, I was 22 when I started there, still in college. So what was it like walking around this place where you spent five years of your early career? I mean, did you did you see a lot of stuff that you recognized or was it like way different? No, I saw tons of stuff that I recognized. But what was different about it was that I got the sense it was like going back to a once booming town that had been completely, I don't know, Chernobyl or something, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, analogy, but ju just in the sense that I remember it as being a place where there were two separate newspapers in these mm, buildings yeah. that were connected. But the, although the papers were owned by the same company, they were definitely in competition. Like Sentinel people definitely wanted to beat journal people to the story and vice versa. And, you know, I we, remember that chapter of our, of our history and like uh, some, some households subscribed to both. Right. And then, right. And some had one, some had the other. Yeah. You know. It was a big thing. But like we had a vibrant, full of life newsroom full of people and across the little skywalk that we had to pass there to go to the cafeteria, um, they had a big, booming, fully staffed newsroom, too. You know, And plus, they were, at the time, the printing presses were still in the building, and then like 
all of the other departments, photography, typesetting, like all that kind of stuff was all in there. And I remember them as being almost like two, like Minneapolis, St. Paul, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like twin cities, just kind of constantly bustling. And then to walk back in there and see almost nobody. I mean, really, we saw almost nobody. There were some people cleaning out the old library and that was about it. You know, it was, it was completely quiet. Most of the rooms, including the newsrooms were empty. There weren't even desks in there. Um, it just felt so weird. And I guess in a way it was also kind of a symbol of what's happened to the newspaper industry, right? I mean, we went from a, being a city this size that could have two thriving daily newspapers to one that has one daily newspaper that's owned by a, a company outside the city that whose story has been just sort of laying people off endlessly for years now. It's, it's just, it's, it's disappointing. It's sad. Wow. Yeah. When you, I had no idea that there was this whole part of publishing the paper where they were actually typesetting and making, making, um, like out of molten metal castings, right. To, for the printing press. Yeah. In the old days they used to have to, I mean, they had the hot type that's sort of like where they would have to like compose every article, you know, letter by letter, but then also they would, uh, the engraving department would engrave the ads and the photographs and all that other kind of stuff, all the graphics. And then they would put it all into one big uh, sort of block that they could use to, to print the page. And um, what I did not realize when I worked there was that there was a whole facility in the basement for melt remelting that lead so that they could reuse it again. Yeah, just how much labor and expertise must have been involved in, in getting the paper out every day back then between literally melting metal for the for the printing press and then printing the paper and distributing the paper all of course all the journalists and photographers um, it really was this huge operation yeah and at the time it was all for i mean for decades it was clustered all in that one complex i mean ultimately as time went on they moved the printing presses out to a new facility in west milwaukee and then salespeople moved out there and so it started to they sort of started to depopulate the downtown buildings but um but yeah now it's it's really eerie to go in there to see it completely and utterly devoid of people that's that's what i meant about the chernobyl thing <laughs> you know like it just it went from being basically a fully inhabited city of people going about their business to just completely empty and quiet well as always some really really cool pictures that go along with this story this might actually be probably your last chance to look inside this building before it is completely transformed We've got Bobby's complete story linked up at RadioMilwaukee.org slash podcasts. And coming up in the second half, we're going to be talking about the next chapter of this complex of buildings, a major redevelopment plan for the inside. We're going to talk about that next on Urban Spelunking. Radio Milwaukee is on a mission. And if you're here to discover new perspectives on music in Milwaukee, then you're on a mission too. Join today to support the programming you love. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart. And we're back on Urban Spelunking at 4th and State in the former Milwaukee Journal Sentinel newspaper headquarters. This is a, a sprawling building. We talked about its history in the first half, um, but it's got a bright chapter ahead. In fact, it's going to be completely remodeled inside and out. 
So I guess let's start with um, with um, what's next. Where, what's what's happening with this building? Well, there's three uh, main parts of the building uh, that are sort of separate. One is the, the old Sentinel building, which faces Vell Phillips Avenue, Fourth Street, um, and that's the sort of red brick building that, and nothing is happening there at the moment. There's no plan for that in the short term. Um, okay. But then the uh, project that's get about to get underway. Uh, actually might be underway by now, is in the 1962 addition to the Journal Building, and that's the one that faces uh, Third and State. And that is going to become um, student housing for MATC. So that's really interesting, because previously there was no like official MATC student housing, was there? No, I think they used to use um, MSOE housing sometimes. Okay. At some I mean, at some point, I know they did that, but um, but yeah, no, they didn't otherwise have their own housing. So that's handy because it's only a couple, It's like two blocks away. You can see it as soon as you step out the door. You can see M- MATC. So the 1924 Art Deco building on the corner of State and uh, what is now Vell Phillips Avenue, um, that is going to be converted into uh, market rate apartments. Um, about 130 of those, and then oh wow, okay. Yeah, and then they're talking about using the old, the original press room, which is in that building, as some sort of retail space because it has those really big windows that look out onto Bell Phillips Avenue, and it's a giant space inside with like two-story ceiling heights, perfect for something like a brewery, you know, like because they often have um, heavy equipment, brewery equipment that needs a nice solid floor like that and a mm-hmm. and a high ceiling height. Yeah, and that definitely gives you a sense for the scale of this property. I mean. If it can fit 130 apartments plus student housing for MATC, plus maybe a brewery or some other um, retail operation, plus and parking, not, plus parking, and then not even using one of the buildings in the complex, right? That's huge. So it will be interesting to see what happens. So because um, the Jeffers company, Jeffers and Company, owns now that entire square block. So they own um, the Sentinel Building, which is not being. There's, nothing's happening at it at the moment. They own Major Goolsby's building, and then they own all those parking lots to the east of those, you know, on like 3rd and Kilbourne. Um, so they still have kind of a pretty big footprint of land there that they could do something with at some point. Um, apparently at the moment there is no plan for that, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shapes up in the next few years. And Jeffers is a name that I know we've talked about here on Urban Spelunking, and if you've been reading the news, probably a name you've been, you've you've heard more than once. Um, major property developer with properties, like we said, in downtown, but also in other neighborhoods around Milwaukee, uh, like Bayview and and elsewhere. Right? Josh Jeffers, who owns it, is a loves historic buildings. He owns the Mackey and the Mitchell buildings downtown, where you know where the Grain Exchange are mm-hmm. is, and um, so he loves those kinds of buildings, and he likes to to sort of save those and pretty them up and put them to good use. Uh, but he is also occasionally building newer buildings. He is building that Huron building um, on Broadway and Clybourne. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I know we'll be watching the future of this building as all these developments take shape. But I think we should close on this photo that you included in your story, Bobby, this really cool story. When you went to go behind the scenes, you found this little reminder of your personal past at like inside, like what are the chances? So share that story. What did you What did you find? So we were in the in the press room, the old, where the old printing presses were, and uh, up. If you look in the picture in the story, you can see that up uh, at what would be sort of a third story level in this huge open space, 
there are all these windows and it was sort of the control room uh, where the electrical is and stuff for the presses and, and all the systems. And so they could keep an eye on what was going on down below. Um, and I thought, I'm going to go up there and look around. And I go up there and at the end of this really long room, I see one newspaper. So I walk down there and I look and it's a, a, from the Sentinel. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I see, oh, it's a Sentinel sports section. I'm like, oh, wow. And then I see that it's from 1991. I'm like, oh, no way. <laughs> and then like, I start paging through it and I come across an article. I used to be the bowler of the week writer. Um, <laughs> really? Wow. Yes, we, we would take bowling scores. We would print bowling scores every night. So bowling alleys around the, the area would call in the high scores for their league bowlers for that night. And at the end of the week, the highest series bowled by a man and the highest series bowled by a woman, those would be the bowlers of the week. And I would call them up and do a story on them. And um, I opened it up and there was a bowler of the week story from 1991 that I'd written. And what was funny about it is it featured a woman. Wow. It featured a woman that I had just seen a reference to on Facebook. A friend of mine had tagged her in a post on Facebook maybe a month earlier. And I said, oh, is, does that... Did she used to bowl? And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. And, oh, no way. And I said, wow. I, think I, I said, I think I wrote a story about her once. And this was that story. That is nuts. And so, then, so then I posted this on Facebook. And the woman who's in the story posted a picture of she had like a special plaque made up with like a metallic sort of engraving of this article. She was so proud of it that she made this like special plaque and hung it on her wall in her house like 30 years ago wow. and she posted a picture of it and i was like whoa <laughs> it was just so but, weird so what are the chances that you'd be walking in and you know on this tour all these years later and stumble across this article that you wrote in the 90s i mean wow right. there's one section of one newspaper in there and it happens to be have an article in it that I wrote. I mean, I hadn't I hadn't worked there since 1993. Think of how many newspapers were published by the Journal and the Sentinel, and then the Journal Sentinel since 1993. And the odds of this one being there just seems so ridiculous to me. And this wasn't a plant like the guy could have known no. that, that <laughs> no. you were coming. That... No, no, because those guys weren't they weren't even going to take me up there. I said, "Can I go up there and look?" They're like, "Yeah, if you want." You know. <laughs> that's that's incredible. And so when you when you read your bowling story all these years later, were you were you happy with your writing? I was pleasantly surprised. And then when I <laughs> and then when I posted it, my old sports editor Bill Windler said, "Oh, that's a good lead. You'd have to read that story." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> that's then, amazing. The guys who were showing me around uh, said, "Oh, did, did you take it? You should take it. It's just going to get thrown out someday anyway." I'm like, "Nah, I kind of like the idea of it of knowing it's there." <laughs> I left it. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. Like, maybe sometime in the future, somebody else will take it and it'll live on in somebody's basement and be rediscovered. Let someone else read about the guy who built the bowling alley in his basement and installed a mirror so he could watch himself bowl. I would read that story, though. Wouldn't you? <laughs> and it makes perfect. And actually, it sounds silly, but it makes perfect sense because he wanted to make sure he was like using the perfect form and all that and trying to improve. So it actually it was a, a great way to do that. Well, definitely check out the photos. We've got them linked up at RadioMilwaukee.org slash podcasts. Podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted Sonic Inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from On Milwaukee. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts right here, right where you're listening to this podcast. You can find our others 
And you can always keep on top of what's going on too at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcast. We do ask too, if you could uh, just help us out, take a minute, rate and review this podcast. Helps us get more and more folks to see what we're doing here. On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Thanks. Thank you.